So we are continuing with the eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. We are on element five now. If you look at Roman numeral one on your outline, you will see the eight elements. And I cannot review them for sake of time, but we are on element five, Jesus Christ, the solution. And that involves an introduction to Christology. We're going to look at... uh, a branch of theology called Christology, which is just the study of Jesus or the study of the Christ. And so um, last week we started in a very non-traditional way. Uh, normally you kind of discuss the deity of Christ for X number of weeks, and then you discuss his the manhood of Christ for X number of weeks, his sinless life, his miracles, his substitutionary death, his uh, burial and resurrection, his ascension, the outpouring of the Spirit, his present reign and current reign and these kind of things. But um, I just decided to uh, start more, I don't know, metaphorical, more literary, get us a, a feel for it. So I just decided to focus on the five books of the, of the New Testament written by John, and particularly uh, the Gospel of John, where Jesus makes uh, I am statements uh, over and over and over again. I frankly don't i have made attempts to count them at different times but you know it depends on if when he says i'm i am the life more than once or i am the vine more than once do you count that as one i am statement or two i am statement but there's at least 20 some i am statements perhaps if you counted every one of them when he repeats the same thing uh there's probably around 40 and so um we last week we looked at how the uh, concept that's in John chapter 1, 1 through 3, and John 1, 14, and 1 John chapter 1, of Jesus being the Lagos, which was a, a word in Greek philosophy, how Jesus, uh, John purposely used that word. And uh, if you look at uh, your Roman numeral 4 there, uh, what you'll see, by the way, Roman numeral 3 I should have reviewed is but, you know, everything in Christianity, by the way, falls or rises by on who do you say that I am? Everything. So, uh, you know, the whole concept of Jesus being the bridge, the, you know, we tried to emphasize in the first four elements that the gap between God and man is much deeper than contemporary estimates of it, even in Christian circles. And uh, uh, when someone starts to see what I call the bad news, how bad the gap between God and man is, and that no philosophy, no self-help, no religion, no performance-based, no, nothing can help you. You have to be rescued. When, when someone really begins to see the desperateness of their situation, that's when they want the good news, the gospel. Um, that's, you know, we wonder why people don't want to hear our message anymore, and it's because if you really study uh, philosophy and sociology over, or in psychology over the last couple centuries. If you study uh, the the changes or the reducing of the message of the gospel over the last 150 years, little by little, we've created an entire culture where no one sees the bad news. If you say, you know, you need a savior, you need a rescuer, from they'd be like, from what? Why? <laughs> uh, not interested. I'm I'm doing fine coping by myself. And um, there's lots of reasons why that gap has been minimized, but 
Uh, in essence, that's what we're, you really have to do, and that's what we have to do as a community of Christians. We have to live a lifestyle together in covenant under the Lordship of Christ in our marriages, in our single households, in our campus ministries. We have to live a life that makes it clear to the world that the, that the gap is bigger than, it, than you think and that they need more help than they know and that, and that God is offering them that grace. So let's move back to where I was at with uh, the Lagos. What John does is he does what Genesis 1 does. He does what the whole Testament does. He does what Jesus did, what the apostles did, and what the patristic fathers, that is the early church fathers of the first five centuries did. And that is he takes a non-biblical, ungodly concept that comes partly out of the fallen heart of man and partly out of man being made in the image of God, and he redeems that concept by, by basically using the Lagos as, uh, in a way that Plato and Heraclitus and Philo did not use it. And so he's, uh, and he, he's basically saying Jesus is this thing the Greeks have been looking for, and he's so much more. They're looking for a non-personal entity. He's personal. He's God of very gods and man of very man. And he, uh, he's not some abstract principle. But they were looking for a principle that initiated all things, that defined all things, that caused there to be a prototypical or a, a perfect door somewhere, a perfect sense of love somewhere, a perfect thinking somewhere, or perfectness in beauty somewhere. And they took, uh, uh, you know, John takes that concept and he says, what you're looking for has come and lived among us. And he, when he says he's dwelt among us, he uses the Greek word for tabernacle. The tabernacle of God is Jesus Christ. And now the tabernacle of God is Jesus Christ in his body, his church. And this is dwelling right in your midst. This idea was abhorrent to the Greeks because the Greeks saw everything in the material world as evil. That's why the first battles about Christology, the first battles about who Jesus was, that the church began to fight very early on was against an idea that's very, very rampant. Uh, more and more people are crying out how, how uh, Gnostic evangelical Christianity has become. And the Gnostics kind of made this separation between spiritual being good and material being evil and there wasn't this. There was this idea that God was going to abandon the, crea the creation, and it couldn't be redeemed in time-space continuum, and it could only be redeemed at the end of time, and uh, and and so forth. And the whole message of the Bible is that God came to redeem it all now. That's the meaning of the incarnation in the first event of Christ. So John, when he says, "I'm the Logos," he's He's kind of saying um, that, G, that there's, there's an archetype for everything, and an archetype is just an original pattern or model from which all copies derive. If anybody has been at my Tuesday night Bible studies or some of the series I did this summer, I, my favorite series of all time, next to the kingdom, my second favorite series, next to the kingdom of God series, is called Re Rediscovering and Restoring the Pattern, because most people don't even know we should be looking for patterns. Heaven was a pattern. The, the pattern was to come to the 
to, to, to Eden. The tabernacle was a pattern. All the temple was a pattern. Christ was the pattern. When Christ says in, the, in, in John 13, when he washes their feet, I give you an example. The Greek says, I'm, I'm giving you the pattern. Be a servant leader. Wash each other's feet. So, uh, Christ is the pattern. If you want to study, like, how does the Holy Spirit come into to a Christian's life? Look how he came into Jesus' life. Follow the pattern in the life of Jesus. Then follow the secondary patterns are always the early church and so forth. So John basically is saying that, uh, with these I am statements is, and with, that with his use of the logos that Jesus is the pattern you guys have all been looking for. He is the ultimate reality. And he's the perfect, uh, and then the other word that comes to mind is quintessential, which means the pure or essential evident, essence or the perfect embodiment of something. In marriage, we have a picture of Christ and his bride. But I have never seen uh, a marriage that's a perfect picture of Christ and his bride because the, the quintessential picture of Christ and his bride is Christ and his bride. <laughs> you know, uh, in the Trinity, we have the quintessential picture of family, of what it means to love one another. Jesus wanted, prayed that we would love one another as the Father and the Son loved one another. If your relationships in your single household are as good as uh, the Trinity, you've got nothing more to work on. <laughs> if your relationships in your marriage and your family are as perfect as the Trinity, you can probably stop praying for a while. You know, uh, you probably could stop reading the Bible for, I don't know, for, but of course it would probably fall apart fast because unless you abide in him, but uh, you might be able to take a break for half a second or something. Uh, I'm just being goofy just to, uh, to emphasize a point. So what I want to do is kind of start looking at these random I am statements, but whenever Jesus is saying I am, he's saying I'm the quintessential this. I'm the essence of the real this. Everything else is a, is a mere copy or a mere shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. Sound familiar, Colossians, Paul, so forth? And uh, that's kind of the whole point of 1 John in, in Colossians. Is they, they, were, they, were given, they were written to battle this Gnostic separation of spirit and soul and this Gnostic idea of the Lagos in favor of the biblical redeeming of this. The Bible always redeemed things. So, you know, for instance, an example in modern times, you hear Christians, and, and we have this kind of retreatist thing and a fear of evil thing going on in, in some circles, uh, hopefully not too much, but you hear, would hear a lot of Christians say, well, oh, I don't want to have a symbol of a rainbow on my notebook because the gays use the rainbow as the, you know, gay-lesbian alliance or something like this. And what the Christians would say is God created the rainbow, and God used the rainbow to solemnize the covenant between Noah and God, and the rainbow is God's. So whenever they're not playing Ohio State, I root for Hawaii because there's something like the something rainbows. Does anyone know what Hawaii's called? Something. The Rainbow Warriors, and they got rainbows on their helmets and rainbows on their shoulders and so forth. And personally, I love to see a rainbow, especially sometimes on Darst. 
uh, when you're going up or down, I think usually up, I think you can see a double rainbow. Um, so, you know, people will go, we can't use Christmas trees because there was some pagan connection to Christmas tree. What the church always said, uh, what, what the scripture really says is God made those trees and a tree represents Christ first and foremost and so many other biblical things. Let's take it back. We're not going to let, we're, we're going to create a culture that assigns biblical meanings to these things. We're not going to let them steal it. So let's, with that in mind, let's get into these I am statements. Take them back. If you're a, if you're a, you know, if you're a carpenter, I want you to know a little bit more today about doors. John 10, Jesus says, so again, Jesus, uh, Jesus again said to them, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. Now, the, whenever the I am there, the ego is understood. The Greek word amy uh, means I am. And almost all commentators on the scriptures from the first century on have basically said Jesus is purposely lining himself up with Exodus 3, 14, what the Jews call the Tetragrammaton, I am that I am, Y-H-W-H. There's something looking like that in Jewish that's really not giving it justice, but uh, I am that I am, the one who causes to be. And he's slapping the, 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 in the lost, blind world of the Greeks in the face and saying, uh, this, this is not some abstract energy force. Luke, may the force be with you. This is a person who transcends the creation. He isn't the creation. All other religions have various forms of creature and creation worship. We worship someone who's absolutely other, outside and above, who has created the creation and who upholds the creation. He upholds every atom in the universe at every second by the word of his power. He is not a God who created physical laws and, and just stands back and, and lets the physical laws work. They actually don't work except when he's actively involved that perfect second. We, the Bible's view of the world is much more personal because there's a personal God permeating everything that goes on in your life. Nothing touches uh, a cell in your body. Nothing touches a circumstance in your life. You have the roommate you need to grow in the Lord. You have the pastor you need. <laughs> you have uh, the boss you need. You have the family members you need. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Uh, so hug that terrible roommate. All right. And thank God for him. And, all right. So Jesus says, truly, truly, I said, I am. I am the door. Now, a door is a gate, right? What's the difference between a door or a gate, outside or inside, usually, right? We tend to call them gates if they're outside, doors if they're inside. Uh, doors sometimes if they have a top because they're inside. Gates, for the most part, don't always have a top. Depends on how fancy the place is. Um, I'm the door. I'm the narrow gate of the sheep. All, all, all. Notice the alls in the Bible. They mean all. Really deep who came before me and the th are thieves and robbers. Every other way, he's not talking about all the prophets who preceded him, who prophesied of him and paved the way for him. He's talking about every uh, Buddha, every 
Confucius, every every uh, one who came before or after in the spirit of Antichrist that detracted from Christ. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. They, they came to destroy you. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. You can't enter by be cleaning up your act and being more religious. You can't enter by going through more hoops of personal devotions or whatever. You have to enter by humbling yourself every second and having Christ you know, rescue you and living in and out of his resurrected life. You can't save yourself. You have to go through the door. Where was it? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Kill, kill, kill. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You know, that's one of my biggest burdens as a pastor. I meet very, very, very few Christians who I can really say, this person is really zeroing in on everything God wants them to be. They're not bitter. They're joy, they have joy. They, they're not just plus vocationally, but in, in, in their marriage and, but there's just their whole life is radiates the presence of God. Everything about them. Like when you call them on the cell phone, you know you've been talking to Jesus. <laughs> you know? Seriously. <laughs> and uh, when you walk in their house, you feel the presence of God. And believe me, that's not pie in the sky. That is reality. You can live there. Now, Matthew says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. Uh, ESV makes a note that uh, some translations say easy and wide. Uh, that leads to destruction, and those, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So he's saying the same thing. So here's a hint. You want to get more out of your Bible? Look for all the gates and all the doors in the Bible because Scripture interprets Scripture. Revelation 1.20 says the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. Lampstands are churches. You want to understand more about the church and Jesus being the lights in the midst of the church, that lights are lights? Then look at menorahs and other lights all through the Scripture. He is the light. He's the menorah of the world. He's the door. You want to understand more about Jesus? Study every door and every gate in Scripture. Because they all will point you to Jesus. Now, you should be thinking of uh, doors in the tabernacle. You should be thinking of the gate that God closed when he had to escort Adam and Eve out of Eden, and he closed a gate behind them and put uh, you know, angels to guard that they couldn't go back in. You should be thinking of the door that God closed on the ark. You should be thinking of all the doors and gate in the tabernacle. You should be thinking of all the gates of Jerusalem and Nehemiah restores and all the, you know, gates and doors in the temple, all the way through the gates in the last two chapters of Revelation. So they have come down to us in pop culture is the pearly gates. 
all of those will teach you things about Jesus because he's the essence of doors. He's the quintessential door. Hopefully, you know, what I, hopefully I can get far enough in this today to kind of arm you. What I try to actually do is there's, these subjects are way too big. Like I could do a whole series on the I am teachings of Jesus that could last 52 weeks at least. But uh, I've already laid enough series on you that we never finish. But I want to give you the tools that when you're reading your own Bible, you can go study this and get more out of it. That's what I would prefer to do. I just want to equip you to win the game, so to speak, if you're putting it in. I just looked at Logan, so I thought of football. Uh, Logan's and got that, like, joy of the Lord today because Michigan whooped on somebody yesterday. But uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, all right, so John 14, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the reality. When we have, there's certain words in our culture that we have, uh, kind of taken the power out of. And we've kind of said, people who say this word and believe this word aren't that radical. Remember, cr- the early Christians, Jesus, they were radical enough to get killed for it. I don't think we're upsetting that many people in our culture. They're not going like, oh, those Christians are coming. <laughs> you know, Grace Christian Fellowship starting to grow a little bit. I better get nervous. I don't think so, Tim. Uh, but uh, God's, God will take care of that in time. We, there's a lot of words that we've got we to find a way to put content back into, starting by rethinking them. So when you see the word true or truth, substitute, you know, verity or, that's Latin, veritas, or substitute reality. Because when you, the more you find Christ, the more you find reality. Anyone who doesn't go deep in Christ doesn't know reality. They're living in a fantasy world. That's really what the Bible is teaching. They're blind. Now, I'm the way, the reality, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When you think about the word, like when he says no one, he means no one. Lots, every, you know, having your best life now and all this self-help stuff, there's lots of stuff where that says you can do it yourself. You, you know, those are actually better selling bookstores and Christian bookstores than the Christian books are. <laughs> uh, by far, the self-help, you can do it yourself. You don't need grace. Then, you know, have it your way in and, and Burger King Church and so forth. Uh, you, they sell better. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. One of the things we got to get straight, they say that the essence of postmodernism and post-Christian culture and the millennials and so forth is that uh, all these realities, like Jesus is who we say he is, but Jesus is someone outside and above you, and it's who he says he is. You know, a basic concept that we've lost is that truth, realities, and so forth don't originate with your opinion, and they don't change with your point of view. There's something altogether different. Does that make sense? That's really important when he's saying this stuff. So what Jesus is saying in these passages, not only is he that first door, a door you go through right away. 
but a way you have to stay on. It's a road. You might, he might as well say, I'm the highway. I'm the, I'm the road. The, and the Old Testament uses the phrase highway of holiness. So you, the road is a, is a path, and it's a narrow path. And the reason it's narrow isn't like what we think, oh, my God, I'm going to have to try harder to stay. No, I'm going to have to abandon all attempts to stay on the path except to seek God for grace for him to keep me on the path. Paul said, I know him whom I have believed, and I am confident that he is able to keep me until that day. Just, I have news for you. I would fall away. You would fall away in one second if God's grace wasn't sustaining you. You would make Peter's denial of Christ and three times seem like nothing. So, when the Bible talks about the way, this meant a lot more to a Jewish, when, you know, for people who read the whole Old Testament as well, because the Jews considered the law of God the way. And Jesus, Romans 10.4 says, telos, he's the goal, the telos, he's the, Jesus is the end of the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. You cannot perform the law. You can only fulfill it as he fulfills it through you. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Jews, like Romans 1 brings this out, the Jews saw themselves as being called by God, by grace, well, at least if they followed their Bibles. They didn't always do that, of course. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they were called by God, by grace. He took them out of Egypt. He didn't, Deuteronomy says, I didn't choose you because you were more in number than any other people or you were more special in any other way. I just chose you because I chose you. And I put my covenant on you. And if you obey my covenant, then you'll be my special treasure and my people. And then he gave them his law right after that. He says that special treasure stuff in Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Then in Exodus 20, he gives them the law. Says it, And uh, the law was to make them a light to the nations. It was to say there's a better way. You guys have a tit for tat. Uh, vengeance is mine, so forth. And I say thou shalt not kill. And I say go beyond not, shall not kill. Don't kill in your heart forgive in your heart, and so forth. So I say, put God first, don't have idols, etc. So the when he's talking about being the way, he's talking about every aspect of everything in your life. The way you handle your finances, your motivations, your attitudes, the way you treat other people, the way you study, uh, your study habits, everything. He is the way. And you can't just try harder. You've got to get more of his grace and become more the person he created you to be and that he is in Christ recreated you to be. And as he puts more and more of the recreation of Christ in you, you will be more and more on the way. And you'll be able to say like Jesus said to Philip when Philip says, show me the Father, he says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Favorite joke of my house between my wife and I. Uh, we both say that to each other. Have I been with you this long and you don't know me? Uh, but but uh, as you stay on the way, uh, you, you become the way. And then you're able to say to someone else, hey, come on this way. Hang out with us. Be in this community. You'll grow more uh, than you've ever grown before because there's more tools of grace coming to bear, and so forth. 
Hopefully we're getting this. I gotta keep I gotta keep moving on. John John eleven. Let's see how much I can do with this. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, I wish I could read the whole passage. I, I actually broke down weeping when I read uh, John 10 today because the whole thing with Lazarus and Martha and Mary, and um, or John 11, I mean. And, uh, I mean, it's powerful stuff. But uh, please read, read the whole chapter for yourself in context. But... Um, We've kind of come to believe this thing about like heaven is something like a place that we go after we die. Like it's geography. What God's saving you from is hell. Actually, what God is saving you from is the law of sin and death. He's saving you from sin, which produces separation from God, a dead spirit. That doesn't mean your spirit doesn't exist, but you're not enjoying the joy and fellowship of God. You're just, you're like a zombie. You're living, but but there's no life in your spirit. You're not, you're not excited about anything. There's no real life. So, you know, what God saves you into, John 17, 3, when Jesus is addressing the Father, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is just, an, heaven is more, of the natural outworking of a life lived in the temple of God, in the praises of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, where the kind of walk that Jesus had and the kind of walk the early apostles had and the kind of walk the early church has becomes your way of life. And you consider it normative. And heaven's just a transfer. coffee on my time. All right, let's keep going. Do we get it? John 10. In you know, again, Jesus is the life of lives. He's the quintessential life. He's the quintessential resurrection. If you're in him, you know, that's why he's talking to Martha and Mary and he's grieving for them because they don't get it. And, and he's like, don't you understand, Martha and Mary? I am the resurrection. And they, he says, Lazarus will rise again. And she says, I know Lazarus will rise on the last day. And he said, no, no, he'll rise whenever I tell him to. (laughs) Let's just go do that right now. (laughs) Lazarus, come forth. You might want to untie those bandages and stuff. They're causing it to be hard for him to breathe. Okay. I'm the good shepherd. Now, since the beginning of mankind, since Adam had, and Eve had, Shem, or um, I almost said Shem, Ham, and Japheth, <laughs> getting a little ahead of myself, uh, you know, had Cain, Abel, Seth, or yeah, Seth, right, um, et cetera, et cetera. There, there have been there have been shepherds in civil government, shepherds in the church, shepherds in the family, shepherds in in, in corporations, companies, businesses. There, there are shepherds. You have shepherds in your life. But Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. If you have leadership in a business or in a church or in a home group or, or in a, a study group on campus, you should say, how does my leading of this study group on campus look like the chief shepherd? 
because he's the quintessential shepherd. Am I a husband that looks a lot like Jesus being a husband? If not, do I need to just try harder and make more resolutions and so forth? No, I need to get out of the way and get more of Jesus going through me. Now, there's practical, you know, you know. again, what we try to do in this church is we kind of teach theology up here, and then we have all kinds of leaders that will help you and want practical ways but to put Jesus in your life. It's, it's really important you get these things. Like back on the thing with the way, another way of looking at it, we, we looked at it as being the law and, and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Another way to look at it is to read the book of Galatians. Because, and you know, I, there was a time when I had been brought up in so much performance-based Christianity and I had a guilt-manipulating performance-based uh, environment that I grew up in that, you know, frankly, real, you know, left me... Uh, Let's just say messed up and uh, so forth. There was a time when I read the book of Galatians every day for months. So I could reposition myself toward grace because what the Galatians did is they went through, I am the door of Jesus. And then they said like most, like probably, I don't know, 90%, a very high percentage of Christians today actually go through the door of Jesus. And then maybe God they're desperate, they need grace, so forth. Things get, they get a little relief because that's what most people have remorse. They're looking for a little relief. They're not really looking to become what God intended them to be and go all the way with Christ. So they get a little relief and then they go, I got it from here. I'll be the way, Lord. That's what the Galatians did. They were the way. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That's another Christ. That's another gospel. That's anathema. You can't, you can't go through the door and then do your, then get off the way. You've got to let his power and his grace and his glory and his motivation and all everything that he supplies through the tools of grace uh, that we talk about all the time be your way. Hopefully this is starting to make sense. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down, you know, uh, I think somewhere in here he probably says the sheep know my voice. I don't know if it's... I don't have time to really get into this. One flock, one shepherd. I wish I could talk about that. Uh, but I will say this is sheep know the shepherd's voice. It, there can be no more important thing that I could help you with except whatever it takes, get to a place where you know the presence of the Holy Spirit regularly, always, often, where you're hearing the voice of God where when you read scripture, it's jumping out at you, where you're going like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> this is awesome. Where you have to discipline yourself not to call your friend, hey, Josiah, I was reading in there. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I know I need to spend more time with the Lord. So I'll talk to Josiah later, <laughs> you know. You, you really... This, you, it's reality. He's the reality. Ezekiel, uh, those those verses that in Ezekiel and Zechariah uh, and Jeremiah that I listed there are all verses about bad shepherds. Contrast Jesus, the real shepherd, with bad shepherds. First Peter five is uh, is both about how to be a good shepherd, 
and how to be a good sheep. You young men, humble yourself and all that kind of stuff. Older men, lead by example. Don't lord it over them, so forth. But all of it has to, should point you back to Jesus saying, I'm the quintessential shepherd. I'm the Logos shepherd. I'm that concept of shepherding that was all, from all eternity in the heart and mind of God. And, it, and there's no authority unless you're accurately representing the shepherd. John 8, Jesus spoke, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not work, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, sometimes I, because I, like when I get to know Christians, I ask them a lot about their testimony, and I'll ask them about their understanding of Scripture, and, and you, you know, and some, some know a little, some know a little bit more. And, uh, you know, eventually I'll try to, you know, like, do you understand that there's an exact biblical approach to economics? To, to the creation of money, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that there's, uh, you know, that the Bible speaks to every area of life pretty clearly, actually, if you study it thoroughly enough. It's the light that, you know, we'll know that the church is starting to be restored when instead of mocking us on the six o'clock news, they're, they're seeking the church. No one's doing that, interestingly. However, uh, the Chinese government recently uh, consulted a variety of Christian leaders from around the world and got their advice because they said, our, Christianity is exploding in our country no matter what we do. What, would you, what can you help us with? We've tried to stop it. We've tried to stop it. We've tried to stop it. It's exploding. What do you guys have to say that might help us? Not to stop. I don't think they advise them to stop it, of course. But, uh, <laughs> well, they might have, because if the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the cert, no, just keep trying to stop and see what you get. But <laughs> maybe, I don't know. But no one's, is anyone looking to us for light? Help us, like, help us know how to do marriage right. Help us know how to do finances right. Help us out how to have mental and emotional health. Now, flipping over, I, I want to get to a few more before we quit. Uh, then you'll have to do the rest of them on your own. Uh, John 1 and, is, and John 18 have two interesting statements. John always does this. John is a masterpiece. one of the greatest pieces of literature in the history of the world. Um, maybe is the greatest piece, but I don't know. Matthew might argue with that. But... Uh, he also has the, purposely, he has I am not statements. And there's two I am not statements that are the most important. The first one is John the Baptist when they ask him if he was the Christ. And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now, the reason I bring this up is that's you really, 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 really need to meditate on that and ask God to put what was in John the Baptist's heart in your whole life. Now, whether you like the movie Rudy or not, I kind of liked it the first few times I saw it. Probably I overdone it, did it. You know, seems corny now. But, uh, you know, there's a, this movie called Rudy, and it has this one great scene where Rudy goes to get advice from a Catholic priest. And uh, the priest uh, gives him very good advice. He goes, Rudy, I've been studying theology for 30-some years, and I've come to understand two things. There is a God, and I'm not him. 
<laughs> That's a great start, isn't it? You know, um, you know, John the Baptist is really gets it right. Like it's, you know, I had this, you know, like everybody is pursuing bigger TV ministries, bigger, all this self-advancement, all this make a name for yourself and stuff like that. John the Baptist had it all and he basically gave it away. And then they tried to make him jealous and they said, you're, you know, that other guy, Jesus, who you said was the lamb of God, who you pointed to, you're just, you know, some of your best disciples left to follow him because Peter, James, John, Andrew were all disciples of John first. And by the way, they're making more disciples and, and baptizing more people than you guys are. They got a bigger church than you do. <laughs> and he said, what did I tell you? This is actually a couple chapters later. He refers back to these verses. I, didn't I tell you that I'm not him? A man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven. I used to fret over having a small church and you know what, I'm, we grow inch by inch, and, you know, we were 20 a few years ago, now we're 60 or so, 45, 60, whatever we are. I don't know. It doesn't matter. And I love, like, I love going to, like, whenever I go to the pastor's meetings, which I don't go to very often because they, they always go, like, how many people are you running? And I always go, around 12. But most of them, we probably, I don't think any of us know the Lord, especially not me. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to throw stuff like that out just to see what they'll do with it. I don't know. We're pretty confused about what we're doing. <laughs> but we're seeking a more clear vision. <laughs> uh, the next most important I am not statement is, of course, Simon Peter, when he's warming himself by the fire. And he, they say, you're not also one of his disciples. And he denies it and says, I am not. Now, the first kind of I am not, we all need to seek God more to be more, to have more of that in our heart. The second example of I am not, we've all done that, haven't we? The same crowd that cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord. Five days later, cried, crucify him, crucify him. Same exact people. How many times have you moved from Hosanna, Hosanna to crucify him pretty quickly? If you don't get what I mean, ask God, because you have. We've all said, I am not, in, the, in that way, too. And if it doesn't, when you think of Luke's version where Jesus looked at Peter, if that doesn't make you break down and weep, I'd say you get, you're, you're probably still at the door. And you need to ask God to take you through more of the door in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when you think, you know, when you have those ex real experiences with God, you're like Peter in Luke 5, he throws himself down on the shore and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And the difference is, you know, Judas went out and hanged himself. That's remorse, self-pity, poor me, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got myself in a bunch of crap and trouble. Peter did not. Jesus looked at him, and I always, you know, like, if you haven't seen the Gospel of Matthew versus the Gospel of John videos, you know, there's different interpretations. I don't know how Jesus looked at him, but I think about that scene a lot. And whenever I do it, I can hardly get through it. Because I'm he. That is Peter. <laughs> I, you know, I've done that, been there. 
And uh, I failed him again. And then remember that, you know, 40 days later or whatever, Jesus restores him three times, just like he denied Christ three times. So the I am not sayings. I wish I, I'm going to give us John 15 real quick, give you some tools. Look for all the abides. Um, look for the fact, like, see where it says I'm the true vine? Look for, you know, go in Bible Gateway and put vine and then solve for the whole Bible. <laughs> and then read, you know, then you can click on read it in context and maybe read the whole chapter. But un- understand, Jesus is tapping into an entire biblical theme that starts in Genesis when he says that. Okay, he wants you to think of lots of passages. Uh, and abide is the Greek word meno, and it means dwell in, continue in, remain in, so forth. Um, I'm out of time. I actually want to tell one story. I'm going to get somebody a little embarrassed here. You know, we hang out on the front porch and the back porch a lot at my house and just talk. <laughs> Last night on Vesh and I were talking about the Lord while all these guys who were drunk were getting in fights and the cops came. and It was just so joyous living in East Dayton. And, uh, and caught this, the, certain guys were beating up this other guy. And, and I was like, Praise you, Jesus. <laughs> but uh, so um, I was like, do I want to venture off my porch? I need to put a gun shield up here or something. Um, and, you know, we're, the other day I'm sitting on the back deck, and uh, Logan starts talking about this verse about with donkeys in it. I, where was it? Then? What was the first one that got you started on this? Saul. Saul riding a donkey. And then, like, he goes, when I read about Saul's donkey, I started thinking about how Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem. And then Paul rode a donkey. And then Balaam rode a donkey. And, you know, and, and on and on and on. And before, and we started going back and forth. Before we know, knew it, we thought about 30 different uh, examples of donkeys in the Bible. And uh, and there's there's typology. There's meaning there. So I was like, Wow. I thought Logan just went over to John and Emily's house to play chess. Here he's learning how to read the Bible. Amen.